in the episode 1509 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Well, here's one of the things, too, and I'm glad you circled back around to that, Jake, because one of the things I want to talk about, and this is one of the hallmarks of the way that this company had been ever since losing the competition in WCW and ECW in 2001, for a period of time, the extreme continuity. And the funny thing is, is that in a lot of ways, you wouldn't compare this product with the old WWF, but if you look at that period of time, from you know 63 to 83 there would be a lot of continuity you'd see a lot of the same guys cycling in you know years apart uh, so this this whole thing like drew mcintyre bobby lashley both being on top more than a decade after they'd broken in or 15 years after that that would be something you would have seen in the old wwf we talked about this many years ago on the show of like john cena in 06 against Van Damme, and 11 against Punk. It was like the same thing. Like, John Cena was in the same exact place five years apart of being the heel to a smart crowd uh, because he was he was always the baby face that got booed. And that's the whole thing, too, that one of the legacies of Cena, and I think there are a lot of legacies that, uh, and I don't mean this as a shot at him personally, but if I'm looking at his record, where it was harmful to the business of where, the lesson Vince drew from that was to disregard the crowd. And like, if he felt it, disregard everything else. And he carried that over to Roman Reigns. And as you pointed out, Roman Reigns never even really got over until 2020 at SummerSlam when he went heel and has gotten over in this persona here now. So, failedness of stuff over a period of time. I'm not saying that you won't see any continuity from those 20 years or so going forward here. I'm not saying you'll never see any of that again. But the tendencies of continuity, staleness, staying with things that aren't working, you're, you're going to be seeing that get greatly diminished over the next several years as they get more of this common sense direction there uh, with the company. One can only hope that the direction they take, um, well, the only thing we really go based on was, you know, Triple H just run an NXT, and it showed that he had a penchant for listening to the audience, what yes. the audience wanted, and going in, in that direction. I never understood the... 2000, basically starting around like 2006 with John Cena, like you mentioned, the I'm going to do this in spite of you mentality from Vince McMahon. Right. And, you know, we always we had the line of like, you know, uh, he sells merchandise to, to the little kids. Okay, great. But still, I mean, I saw little kids wearing Steve Austin shirts back yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. You know, they're, they're children. They're going to listen. They're going to they're gonna like and they're going to go for whatever is there. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like in the 80s, it was Hulk Hogan. I mean, I cannot tell you how many people that I talked to that were wrestling fans as a kid who absolutely, to this day, love the Ultimate Warrior, haven't watched wrestling since then. Yeah. They just, like, you know, and uh, he, he, he was hot garbage, but it was, that's what you were fed. So 
price. That's so, so we're never going to see that heel turn. I just think it was a personal message from Vince McMahon to the audience of a of basically f you. I'm going to give what's just an irony there, you know, yeah. John Cena's f you move. I think it was the message from Vince of like f you. I'm going to do my you know the updated version of the Hulk Hogan baby face, and so that's what made me money. And I'm just going to keep going with it. And he was under the impression of you know you're going to keep watching anyway, no matter what. And granted, the diehards were like that. But to the long-term damage that has done to the product itself, I mean, that's evident by the lack of people who are watching today. Yes. Um, and then trying it even further, you know, with Roman Reigns, it was even worse. With Cena, I felt like by the end of it, everybody was in on the joke. Like, so right. it was like the, you know, let's go, Cena, Cena sucks. And if you watch the crowds during that time, I want to say like, you know, um, probably like 2013, 2014, Cena. Yeah. Everybody was chanting both things. Yes, yeah, yes, to, true. And to, to, an ex, to an extent, to the point where he comes back now, Cena's street, like, he comes out and he's, you know, you don't hear as much of the Cena sucks chant, but that's only because he's not on TV. If he's on TV regularly, once you hit that crowd, you get the, you know, the New York City would, would do something like that. But it became more point where, like, okay, we're all in, like, we get it, we're in on the joke of what we're doing. With Roman, it was, no, <laughs> like, just, no, we're not doing this again. You're not getting what you want this time. Where you know they were left with no other choice, and I was actually petrified that Drew McIntyre was going to fall under the same uh, fall victim to the same circumstances of that Vince McMahon style babyface booking, where basically he snips your balls off, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. everything that makes you great goes away. And that happened. I mean, Drew was unfortunately in the long, you know, because of the whole COVID era and shut down. His moment got taken from him. Um, as, as an unfortunate side effect, so we'll never know what it would have been like seeing him. A star, the star should have been made when he beat Brock Lesnar at that WrestleMania, but unfortunately, the, the real world had different plans. Um, maybe Triple H right, writes a wrong uh, Clash at the Castle, you know? Because uh, going back to our comment about Bill Watts, was one of the first things he did was was get the championship onto the guy he wanted. Now, granted, it was, you know, third, fourth, fifth-tier babyface that Watts did it as. I could very much see this being Triple H writing that wrong, giving, giving McIntyre that star-making win, and what better place to do it than in his home country, uh, well, it's not his home country, but in the U.K., yeah. where it's right around, you know, his people, close enough, yeah, you know, close enough, right in the U.K., and that place, and especially seeing one of their own be the one to topple the, to topple the unstoppable, oh, he's, he's a made man. He comes well, yeah. back as an absolutely made man, and that's going to be the interesting thing to see from a, a creative perspective, if that's the way they're going to go, or if it's, you know, do they stay with the vision of Vince McMahon of just keeping on, because uh, let's face back, the world champion for pretty much the past Seven years has been a part-timer. Yes. With the exception of the, the true run and last year and there. But like for the most part, you had Brock, you had Roman, Cena would come in with a belt, you know? It's, it's more and more favorable to the part-timer having that run. And I just would like to think that, you know, as you mentioned earlier, these part-timers start to age out and um, new ones take that spot that uh, or fill the voids are taking taking place. Uh, hopefully we get a nice little uh, change in creative direction and, and something like this. Get rid of a Kevin Dunn and 
put a new man on top uh, on the top of the totem pole. Right, and there's there's a lot to unpack there. As far as the part-timers go, they'll never be as dependent on, say, a Goldberg or an Undertaker or whatever. I mean, Roman, Cena, whatever, they'll be the things that you add to the bigger cards, but they're not going to be the things of like, oh, we're booking this guy and depending on this that draws this money. Now, Roman, had it still been Vince in there, they would have left the belt on him at the next pay-per-view because you and I have said this for years. You don't need a belt to do Roman and Rock. It's going to be a, a no. match, one of the biggest matches ever anyways. It doesn't need the belt. But Vince wouldn't have believed that. The, the, the belt, the, the quote-unquote belt, the title line is the tribal chief. The yeah. Team. yeah. That's your story. Yeah. Done. And that's, no. you know... That's the whole thing. And the funny thing is, I mean, to tie it to what we're talking about here, it's sort of like today's version of the being John Cena title, which is what he had in 2012 when CM Punk had the actual title, which see, I always felt like for Cena, one of the turning points was 2015, the U.S. Open Challenge, where he's going out there and he's sort of doing this PWG cosplay on Monday nights. And that seemed to get people more into it, you know, when he's doing the matches with Kevin Owens and these other guys or whatever. And I mean, like, you know, the springboard stunner really sucked as far as his execution, but he tried. He was trying to do new stuff. He was putting effort into it, and people seemed to respond to that. So I felt like that was a little bit of a turning point for him. But as far as the, the part-timers of your uh, Goldberg is probably just about done. Shane O'Mac, uh, you know, it's strange to say he might have a better chance of coming back under Triple H than he did Vince, uh, but it still doesn't seem like that great of a chance. Uh, Triple H is gone for good because of his heart issue. Uh, so, you know, wisely, he's doing the right thing there. The Austin thing seems to be a one-time shot. So, you know, you could have Roman, you could have Cena, you could have some of these guys, you know, in that spot uh, doing those, uh, th- those things here. But I think the whole thing of, of putting, on a part-timer, that is going to be something that they're going to be getting away from. That's going to be one of the hallmarks of things going forward. And it's a little bit of, I I don't want to belabor the point that I'm going to make because, uh, you know, I I don't want to go too far in the direction of talking about this subject, but it is a little bit of an elephant in the room if you and I are talking about this here. You and I, having first started talking wrestling on the air as the uh, sort of fifth Beatles of Sunday Night Submission back in the day. So I'm going to make this point as obliquely as I can. And that is, as people know, there are smart minds that exist in that company. And there are smart minds that can do more than they've had a chance to do. You go back to for example, the glory days of NXT, or I might randomly throw out uh, the middle of uh, the, the year 2013 on SmackDown, or the end of the year 2016 on SmackDown, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, and I think you are. So there are smart people that exist in that company, and some of those smart people have a good relationship with Triple H and should be empowered to do more with Triple H than they did Vince. I hope I wasn't too oblique in those points there. I don't think I was. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah, you were not. It was very subtle. Very, <laughs> very subtle what, what you're, uh, you're, you were referencing there. On a completely unrelated note, have you talked to Kyle Ross lately? <laughs> you're, you're thinking of uh, someone else from that particular thing. By the way, I hate you. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, um, yeah, um, and you know what? I wish I wish Mike Flick all the best under the new Triple H regime. 
Kyle is uh, Kyle is doing some uh, some great stuff out there as always. And uh, as far as anyone else that might have been attached to it, I'm going to say this right here and now, and that I can only speculate. Basically, listen, I do Twitter searches and stuff like that. Uh, again, we we have a friend that's there. We're, we're joking about this. I don't get any kind of dirt. I know you don't get any kind of dirt. I know is what I read on Twitter, so to speak here, but there's an awful lot of stuff on Twitter about the inner workings, Jake Digman, and a lot of it basically rings true. So as far as the way that people are empowered or not empowered in that company, again, you turn loose the brightest minds, and that's going to be another charge to the product as well. People who get the most out of what's there. I mean, go back to uh, Heath Slater, getting over Heath Slater. I got kids, okay? You got people that have a track record of getting some very unlikely people over in that company, Jake Dickman. It goes back to the whole uh, looking at the future, and I think um, our, uh, our, our our buddy is a very good uh, is a very good asset to use in that situation. That was very influential in the forming and shaping of a lot of these guys' careers uh, under the uh, you know the old days of NXT. Um, yeah. So, which, by the way, and I said this to him. I said, um, it reminded me of during, at that time, I'm like, it reminded me of a cross between, like, you know, a, uh, a super indie and, like, Memphis. Right. Or some sort of, like, you know, like a small time, like, studio wrestling. And I absolutely love that. And, you know, take advantage of that. And also the advantage of that being, too, is this is, this is something that I, that, um, I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to say it. So okay. I don't get him in trouble. Is everybody in a conversation that we have had? Yeah. We were talking, and, and somebody had something about, like, oh my God, let these guys do their own. Stop scripting everybody. Everybody used to, like, you know, do their own promos. Stop doing scripted promos. And a birdie, cool, just say that, a little birdie said to me, unfortunately, a lot of these people came up under these scripted promos. Um, that's how they were, came through the system. They wouldn't know how to do it if it wasn't scripted for them. Yeah. They, they're, they're not that creative. So they don't know what to do. And I bring this up. Thankfully, um, Seth's little birdie is still available near the desk that can also help cultivate these people into knowing the, their cadence and knowing their styles and help them being like, hey, you know, here's a little bit of a nugget. Now let it grow and make it and mold it and shape it into your own as to who you who this character is as part of you as opposed to what said person over here, aka Vince McMahon, is telling you what your character is. Sure. Vince didn't tell a Steve Austin what his character was. Contrary to what Bro will tell you, not being riddled, contrary to what uh, Russo would say in interviews of like, you know, writing for all these guys, no, and, um, and by the way, I'm going to do a little plug, I guess, or we're both uh, uh, corny marks. Yeah. He, he recently did an episode where he, where he read off of a bunch of Russo's pitch meeting stuff. Suggestions, <laughs> <laughs> And if you haven't heard it yet, seek it out. It is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> Ridiculous. I'm like, oh yeah, that guy definitely, like, you know, at that time, yeah, he was totally ready for the rock. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, he, uh, this, the little birdie could very easily be, you know, the other rock, he could be the, the, the you know, a star of today. Um, uh, was it Gortz? Yeah, yeah. Brian Gortz, who was like first time writer for Dwayne Johnson. Right. You know, with a lot of these guys that he helped cultivate, he could, you know, help perhaps let their characters grow and uh, become extensions of themselves as their personas. And 
everybody knows once it becomes an exception of yourself and a persona, that's how you train a star. Right. Because the person that's being comfortable on TV, they're being who they are, not someone they're told to be. Right. You and, know, we shall see. And I felt like uh, NXT, uh, the era when so many of these guys came out of there, uh, that I, I always those those glory days of it uh, for about 2013 or so to 2016 that whole wave of guys there uh, the aforementioned genius that had the pencil at the time it was one of these things where you know you talked about the influences you saw I think I would say a little bit of Mid Atlantic a little bit of classic Mid South in there as well good foundational fundamental wrestling booking and how you go through these things and making sense out of stuff. And all these things we keep coming back to make sense out of things, logic, let these guys shine in the ring, you know, just, you know, again, emphasize, you know, the wrestling part of the, the sports entertainment. And again, because, you know, you still have for as many green guys as they're bringing into NXT. And hopefully that uh, is, is a tendency that's going to reverse itself over a period of time. But again, the work rate that you have on both sides, and again, you know, and, and, in, the, and in the women's level, it's never been higher. The work rate on the women's side and a bunch of people who can potentially really be big stars, some of whom already are, uh, again, stop getting in your own way. Stop stepping on your own Johnson. That's so much of what Vince was doing. That's, what, that's so much of what made the product maddening the last couple of years. And people like me and you that would watch it increasingly sparsely that was the reason why. So it's one of these things where, again, they're slowly ramping up the improvements. They're slowly kind of making it more of compelling programming to watch, making the most of their time and everything like that. And again, I, I think when we get several months down the road, it's going to be one of these things where the day-to-day -day changes may not be as obvious. Uh, Kevin Dunn would be an obvious and overdue change. But outside of that, I think you would agree with me, right, that these changes are going to be more subtle over a period of time, but it, this could be a thing where, you know, God willing, we get to, uh, you know, Royal Rumble season, and we'll be like, oh my gosh, this is so much better than it was last summer. Don't insult your audience, and don't treat them like they're stupid. Yes. And it's the banter to the audience like they're stupid. Right. Like, constantly. It was a, almost to the point where he was making fun of you for being a fan of this. Right. Like, why would you, why would you watch this? Right. They're going to come back? Okay, I'm going to make fun of you again. Right. And it's like over and over again. And, you know, I agree that it, it has to be subtle different changes. And you know, we talked about a couple of things that could, you know, they could do. You can't do everything all at once or then it, it ends up like, you know, WCW in the 90s, in the late 80s or in the 90s. Right. Where every time a new regime comes in, everything just seems to turn it all upside down. Right. As you said, with the great analogy of Bill Watts, it exposes everything. Which, that, and in 2022, that quote unquote exposing the business isn't really a big issue. Right. But if you come in and you just say, okay, if, if, if you come in and say, all of a changes all at once, it tells the audience you were stupid for watching. You wasted your time right. when you were watching before. Right. Now, a, a, a couple of little, you know, start off, you know, uh, mention the suggestion of Drew McIntyre winning the title, putting, the, putting it on a full-time competitor. Here's number two that could go out there, you know, change the set designs that they have. And so they're just like blandless freaking whatever their entrance way that they have no distinguished ability to any of them really they all look exactly the same to me they right. blue what's blue or what's red um something like that a, a, a slow but you can't do it again you can't do it all at once change you know something like that and then over time as these different 
changing, you know, new people on top, a champion on the show every week. Um, dare I say this, as a brand extension, <laughs> it's really kind of, it's unnecessary at this point because people are crossing over anyway or do a thing where, do either end it or do it right. And I have to give credit where credit is due. This, we haven't even touched on this yet. You know, the whole hyping up the secondary titles. Right. Number one, you know, they ran the hype videos to try to make the United States and the Intercontinental Championships have relevance. That's more than Vince McMahon out of the Vince McMahon regime did in heat for years. Right. I agree. I totally agree with that. It's long overdue. And I will say that, uh, again, I would... I don't have a problem with making the titles exclusive to the two shows, uh, but as far as you know, the world champion, the tag team champions, they should be going back and forth. I, I completely believe that. I would unify the women's belts, although I might hold off on that until WrestleMania. Maybe save it, you know, for for that point in time. Make it kind of a landmark kind of a deal there. But I I don't mind the idea of having a lot of the wrestlers be exclusive to one show or the other, but you do have to have exceptions to that. And again, the world champions should be, uh, this is one of these things where the networks, and this, this goes to them being money marks again, like they don't even know what's in their own best interest, because this is the thing we've talked about this on the show before that during the height of uh, the attitude era. Okay. Nobody was exclusive to raw or SmackDown. Do you think USA and whoever the heck the other one was, if it was UPN, VPN, whatever the hell it was, do you think they cared? My network TV. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you think they gave a rat's ass that Stone Cold, The Rock, Triple H, The Undertaker weren't exclusive to them? Hell no, because the pie was bigger. Grow the pie together. The the pie, don't, don't be Mark's fighting over 50 cents on a sidewalk when that you could turn that into a $5 bill figuratively. You know what I'm saying? You, you have to, you have to look at the bigger picture here and what you want to have, what's more important than having exclusive stars, quote unquote, from a product where nobody is really stars and it's a lukewarm product to you're sharing stars, but they're big stars and it's a hot product. I mean, that's one of the most basic, precepts out there in business and it's so funny that like the networks would understand this if it wasn't pro wrestling there's something about pro wrestling jake digman where when people start dealing with it they throw the rest of their whole insight to the rest of the world out of this and they just treat it as this oddity like it's from mars and we have to apply all these kind of things to it looking at it like that no you look at it like you would any other kind of product of like what are they doing to maximize their creativity what are they doing to try to, to get new stars over? It's the same kind of thing that you would be looking at if it were any other t- form of entertainment. But but for whatever reason, these networks like get hypnotized into thinking it's something completely different. And maybe it's the old Carney thing existing over a hundred years, you know, from from when it first started, right? Of like, oh, it's this completely alien thing. I believe. Everyone will want to watch that. Yes. And if everyone's going to watch for your network for this guy, I don't think the network themselves would go. If this were to walk in and said, hey, we're not doing a brand extension, we're going to have all of our stars on here, all of our stars on there, whatever the, the uh, Carney salesman pitched to them is what they're going to believe. And at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to matter is, if, is the, the ratings and the advertisements. 
as the ratings go up. That's all they care about. They don't care. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's a business. <laughs> At the end of the day, television is a business. They care about the bottom line. They don't care about, oh, well, this exclusivity to this and exclusivity to that. And to circle back to your point of, like, you know, um, having, like, exclusive star here, exclusive star there, and little pieces of the pie, you need stars. Not exclusive stars. You need just stars. And they don't have any stars. Yeah. They don't have any. They have, like, it's their, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say true wrestling fans know who Drew McIntyre is. Average person walking down the street, they don't know who Drew McIntyre is. Right. They might know who Roman Reigns is, and that's even a stretch. If you're to ask the average person, hey, they have a professional wrestler, they're going to tell you The Rock. <laughs> they're going right. to tell you Steve Austin. Maybe John Cena, you know? Heck, even Hulk Hogan. They haven't done a thing where they've created the... Uh, about that is John Cena didn't get to be a name known by the real mainstream until it was really funny when he did the two-year program with The Rock and The Rock quote-unquote passed the torch to him in 2013. That was about the 11.55 p.m. mark of John Cena being a full-timer, wasn't it? So, oh, yeah. So, and like that's when Cena uh, really got to be mainstream. It's when the company became secondary to his other pursuits, which it started. It was a slow movement from that for about two years or so. Uh, but I mean, that WrestleMania, think about it. That's the last one that he headlined in a, in a title match in 2013. And none of us would have believed that at the time. By the next year, he's working with Bray Wyatt. By the year after, he's working with Rusev, etc., etc. So the trajectory was, was, was becoming established there. And that's the thing is, I believe, and I think you kind of hit on a point that I've been making for a period of time now, Jake Digman, me being the cynical guy that I am, I think Vince was playing divide and conquer with the networks. I think he was pitting them against each other uh, because somehow or another, I guess he thought he'd come out on top if they were fighting over guys for exclusivity. If that's the case... Once again, all you got to do is stop doing that, be honest with the networks, and, and, and convince them that, like, look, you know, guys moving back and forth, it can be a good thing if they're promoted in the right way. We're trying to promote them in the right way. What you want are bigger stars from a hotter product, and that's something that you can only basically do if they're all sort of on the same roster here because they, they don't have enough star power to, to do a brand split. They really don't. I, I do trust that under Triple H, it would be better enforced. You wouldn't have the sloppy crossovers, the soft, you know, end of the brand split uh, as they did in like 2011 to 2013, which was just disastrous. You wouldn't have that. You'd have a real brand split under Triple H if they decided to do it that way. But I don't think their star power is deep enough. And I don't think signing these guys back one by one is going to be enough to do it. You know, you, you have to have a product here where, you know, 
because otherwise you're you're taking guys that are mid card guys. You're having to push them up to upper mid card when the audience might not be accepting them as such. You, you've basically got to take a good, honest look at who your pool of potential main eventers are, upper mid carders, and then you kind of work down from there. And if you do it honestly, if you look at it the right way, it's going to tell you you don't have a deep enough roster of talent that's over or going to get over anytime soon to do two separate sub promotions. It was because allegedly, in the aftermath of WCW, oh, we got all this star power and not enough time to be able to showcase them all. And it's one of these things where, but but here's the thing. If it wasn't for the fact that they were addicted to the quarter hour ratings and wanting to always put the guys they had in, in, in the, the biggest spots, then it, was, it would be a thing where, you know, if you're willing to take some time and build up the guys that you have, but they were allergic to the notion that the boom was over, which, by the way, the boom was over, and then Stone Cold leaves, the Rock turns into a part-timer, and you're already at, you're in a situation where, by like 04, 05, it really was a matter of like, remind me again why we're doing this, because the whole notion that you had too big of a roster of guys that were over was just patently ridiculous. You barely had enough for one even then. Not even that. The public line that WWE put out there was they bought up their competition, so now their competition was in-house amongst each other. Yeah. What we have now, there's actual competition. Yes. And to the point where it's like, this isn't a simulated competition. There is an actual competition yes. that is on network television that has a very strong, loyal fan base. And a boatload of talent. A boatload of talent. And a boatload of talent that's there. And here I said, the only thing right now that has been really, and they're still growing. I mean, AEW's less than three years old. Think about this. When, you know, the WWF at the time was up against Jim Crocker Promotions and the WCW, you know, that was a family-run business that they had had there that had been around for years. This is an upstart, but at the same time, it's an upstart that kind of took the model that Triple H had used for uh, the NXT of the Super Indie Fed, right. and it's kind of and it's combining all of these different elements, including the minds that work under Triple H. Right. So it's the whole notion of uh, exclusivity for WWE. No man, you guys got to think, and I really hope that it's dressed the gate moving forward. Is they got to recognize. This is your real competition. If these guys are paying this much money to these guys, and, uh, if Tony Khan and AEW is paying that amount of money to guys out there, it means that they're put on shows, and the and the WWE has to see like you know like how many of the shirt. Maybe they'll get a million viewers, but a strong percentage of those people buy their stuff. Yeah, they buy those. That's loyalty. That's brand loyalty. That's what WWE needs to cultivate. And then you can get something to the akin of of that. And it's, I mean, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to get to it. But one of the things they can start with is recognizing that, okay, we do not have enough in-house. We don't need to do this fake uh, competition amongst our two, let's face it, not brands or television shows. Right. Between our two television shows, because we have an actual television show over there that's doing actual things. So if you got, and they're all competing for the same ticket dollar. WWE was just in town on uh, uh, Monday. AEW is coming to town uh, next next week. Yeah. From, uh, tomorrow. 
Right. So, August 26th, by the way, for whatever you listen to this in the future. Um, <laughs> right. I'm referencing on this. Yes. But, um, yeah, so, like, that's two nationally touring uh, professional wrestling companies competing for entertainment dollar right now with inflation and everything else soaring through the roof to get people, you know, to come out to see their shows. But granted, you know, it goes back to the, I, I, I do believe, um, the lockdown proved that they can have nobody come out to their shows and apparently still make record profit. Sure. But at the end of the day, if you have nobody watching these, these shows, you're not going to get the renewal when the money comes up from the, the television contracts, as we mentioned before. Well, yeah. So it's time that, you know, there is actual competition and they are out there to compete for the entertainment dollar. And the, the, the days of pretending the, the WWE has a, has a monopoly over all the professional wrestling business, especially in this country, it's not true anymore. So, I mean, it's all a matter of, and even with the other options, too, like the, the Super H Feds and put on, like, different shows, they had that, you know, the Ric Flair's last match, say what you want about it, it's through a house. Yeah. You, you know, there's other options underneath this, and it'll be interesting to see what uh, direction, you know, going forward and moving head force into the future that um, the Triple H regime and Stephanie McMahon, the McMahon helps the era, what they, what they, what they do with things. Um, I agree with you. I think it's time to get back to basics and focus on what they've been good for in the first place. You know, the 1980s, WWF had a humongous roster. It didn't need a brand extension. Well, yeah. The late 90s had a fairly large roster, not as large as it would get in 2002, but the whole you know, oh, we need to simulate a competition. No, you don't need that simulation, buddy. <laughs> There's, it's there. It's real. Turn on, uh, you know, turn on TNT on Wednesday night. There's a real, actual competition. Yep. Uh, coincidentally, on the same exact network, that, or, I'm sorry, TBS now. Uh, back on TBS, the same, what it was old is new again. Yes, <laughs> TBS and TNT, many excellent points there. By, by the way, with, uh, with, with, with good old Carney Conrad there, uh, with the sock puppet that he had of Jim Crockett Promotions. Uh, what, what's next? Don Cernoodle's last match? I mean, are they just going to work their way down the list here of guys who had been there at some point? And, you know, the last match for... Uh, I was going to make the Buzz Tyler joke, but then unfortunately I guess he passed away. So I have to look guys up to make sure they're still alive before I make that joke. But, uh, you know, as far as it goes with the competition... Okay, but, 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 okay. How many ECW reunion shows did we get in the 2000s? Okay. TNA milk that, WWE milk that, Extreme Rising, Extreme right. Revolution, um, freaking CCW. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. It's, 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 it's a thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and as far as, like, you know, um, what you call Cardi Conrad goes, yeah. at, least, uh, at least it was something we hadn't seen before. Well, that's true. It, it shocks me. It absolutely shocks me still with the WWE. Not really, because, you know, they viewed WCW as, like, the second-tier citizen. ECW is kind of like, they, they kind of had, it was like, you know, they kind of had a, a little little love for right. <laughs> like the, 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 ah, not real competition. But WCW, it's like, when they had all the talent there, they could have done a WCW show. And I'd rather eat it up. Yeah. It was, you know, everybody, like, the revisionist history likes to say, oh, WCW is terrible and awful. Look at all this bad stuff that, you know, it's often, that's why Vince kicked their butt. And you're like, yes and no, but I mean, it was a, there were certain things, and I mean, beyond the NWO and Goldberg, like, I right. mean, I, we were all, you know, huge Jim Crockett promotion fans. Oh, yeah. The Horsemen back in the day, you know, early runs of Sting, back in the TA, you know, that stuff, that's, that's put on by that fan base with a 
right. database, no one really had done it until now. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, did the whole uh, Jim Crockett promotion that it took, that realistically, that it took this long. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess maybe Sting's last match when he gets bored to be on there, <laughs> when a AEW run is over, but he's having too much fun. Well, I, I I think I don't I don't see Tony Khan letting that happen outside of the AEW auspices. But uh, you know, to 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 bring this around here all the way around, I just want to say in terms of AEW and what you said about competition, what I think we need to do before we wrap this thing is to disabuse that notion from all the bad faith pro Vince trolls out there who were gloating when Triple H had been uh, seemingly demoted even before his heart issues here. Oh, he lost the AEW. Oh, people don't want to see that kind of stuff. They want Vince's sports entertainment. Here's what it was. And I say this as somebody who, as I said to you, in the early days of the Wednesday Night War, I was channel surfing. But it was a thing where AEW was so great that it was a thing of like, you could watch on the one hand a thing where it's unrestrained pro wrestling versus on the other channel, it's Triple H is trying to do as much pro wrestling as he can get away with under the WWE banner. And and, and that was the thing, too, was that, uh, and again, even early on, I think AEW probably had a deeper roster than NXT as far as guys that you would want to watch. Uh, because, uh, you know, we, we talk about the top stars of that era of Undisputed Era, Keith Lee, Etc. Etc. But you know that would morph into Karrion Cross, who had uh, you know kind of an underwhelming time on top of some of the other things over a period of time here uh, with, with with NXT. So it was a thing of like it was it was their best product creatively. It was WWE's best product by a country mile. But it was just a thing where it wasn't going to be able to compete with AEW, which was just bringing the pure pro wrestling goodness right off the bat, as we've talked about, sort of a mixture of Jim Crockett promotions, Mid-South, a little bit of ECW, a little bit of Lucha Libre. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a buffet, basically. It's all these things here. And that's where, again, WWE, I think Triple H is going to learn from that over a period of time, because for Vince, it, it, it's always been, he's been at his happiest when it's been a constant stream of gym dummies with muscles and everything like that, and everybody goes and works the same style. I think Triple H gets that at its best, it's a buffet. It's what AEW is bringing us, a smorgasbord, whatever the hell you want to call it. Not everything is the same as everything else. And I think the diversity as far as the type of performers, styles of matches, types of characters, we will continue to see this evolve over a period of time. We're already seeing it, and the Karrion Cross getting the right presentation for his character. You know, you can count me among the people where, I mean, I'm not as hyped for the guy as a potential main eventer as some people are in terms of, on the main roster, I don't think he stands out as much in terms of his size. I've never been enamored with him as a great worker, although I think he's a good worker. But the character work, having Scarlet by his side, all that stuff is top-notch, and I'm willing to keep an open mind on him. But that's the whole thing. And, and the pragmatism of going with what works. Pra Triple H clearly has a pragmatic streak about him. Vince, increasingly in his later years, didn't. I don't think he'd really shown one going back to the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era is the one time when he was just like, okay, screw it, I'm going to go with what works. And then they got through that period of time, and it was just back to, I'm going to do it my way again. And then 
you know, for like I said, for as much as you said before about Cena being like Hogan in presentation, I've always said Bob Backlund. Hustle, loyalty, and respect. You could have heard that coming out of his pie hole in 1979, right? So Vince has got his own way of doing things here. Triple H is pragmatic. He listens to people. He works with people. They have some great minds there. Again, long story short, I don't expect to love it as much as I love AEW anytime soon. But just the fact that we could even be talking about loving the product again to any kind of degree is just the kind of optimism that's only made possible by Vince being voiced by his own petard. Thank God. I, I, I genuinely hope there comes a day where you don't dread turning it on. Where you're like, hey, we're going in like, well, this is going to be terrible. And I, you know, maybe have a little bit of fun. I'm past that point already. I mean, just look, even even the early shows, I was just kind of, you know, it was just a little bit of a curiosity factor of, like, how is it going to be different? But as soon as Triple H was put in charge of creative, like I said, I didn't want to get over my skis. I didn't want to be like, oh, my God, I wasn't going to do that. I, I'm protecting myself on this. And besides, I have AEW to fill that void in my pro wrestling fandom. So I don't need it to be as great as it used to be. But I think over period of time. And again, it's still the WWE system that Vince built. And as I said before, merch is still going to dictate some of what, of what, you know, happens with, you know, the guys and girls getting pushed. There are still going to be some factors involved in this that we might not like as much. Uh, because in AEW, again, Orange Cassidy, right? He's one of the biggest, he is at minimum a couple of years away from getting pushed as a, a world champion, if he ever does get to that point. Tony Khan, who is hyper-focused on metrics, he's not sitting there going, oh, how many Cassidy t-shirts will we sell as champion? And a certain amount of that is baked into the WWE. So there are some they're going to mitigate against it being as great as AEW. But talk about that, like it might actually happen one day, no matter how remote the possibility, I'll take what I can get after 20 years of Vince beating down my WWE fandom. everybody a chance to get over in that aspect. And I said, uh, uh, it was a potpourri of different 
to work with that they can do something with. Uh, what we do with the Kevin Owens, you know, we've we've beaten the McIntyre's name to death on this one, but there's you know several other guys. I mean, get well, Big E, um, yeah. that are still floating around. The uh, Sami Zayn, who's done fantastic work on SmackDown. right now. It just seems like all things are possible because you don't have Vince's closed mind in here. And you know, maybe this is the best note to, to, to leave it on is what you said about Rusev. If a guy is getting himself over and you're so pissed about it that it seems like you want to put an electroshock on his gonads so he can't say Rusev Day anymore, if that's your attitude towards it, you know, to where you hate money if it's not an idea you came up with. Then again, your time has come and gone, and uh, again, I mean, it, 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 it's funny that again, the reasons for why it happened. But uh, again, putting because on just as well is that uh, this is basically that when when it was coming out early on of like oh, and then he he gave this one female employee employee or whatever, like okay, yeah, I have to say this for the record, not cool, okay, not cool. You know, the whole thing that came out on why the NDAs existence, all right? This is stuff where, again, Vince just never catching up with him. Vince thought he could get away with stuff forever, but it's the 15-year itch, Jake Digman. I don't know what he was up to in 1977, but 92 was the steroids issue, uh, the big scandal with Hogan. 07 was the Benoit thing, and now 22. It's long enough till 2037. It's not going to be a good year for him, bro. It might be. It might be. It, uh, if you got a Vince McMahon death pool, you're waiting until 2037. And so, Taking it right now, 2037. Yes. Well, on that very classy note, we'll bring it around. And uh, again, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Thanks, pal. Appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for joining us for these many episodes of the FDH Lounge.